Okay, Sophie, how's our subscribership drive coming along? Well, Daddy, I was trying to get the kids at the playground to tune in. And how's that going? Well, not so good. They're more interested in playing Animal Crossing and Minecraft. Hmm. Never fear, honey. I've got just the thing. In fact, I've been waiting for a special occasion to pass it down to you, just as my father handed it down to me. It'll motivate you to inspire others. It's my Prince Potentiator action figure. Now, go ahead. Pull the string. Luck favors the brave and the well-prepared. Ooh, give it one more pull. Destiny is the reward for taking action. Well, Daddy, I don't think this is going to be enough. Not to worry, honey. If they need more motivation, we're talking with Mike Lipkin, a real-life potentiator, on this week's Insights at Work podcast. Now, can you please hand me my payroll powerhouse action figure? Stay current with labor laws, tax requirements, and accurately classify workers. Boy, does that ever bring back some good memories. Let's dive in. Part cheerleader, part performance coach, part psychologist, part superhero. How can all of these qualities exist in one human being? And how can we bring these qualities out in you, the HR professional? Because we know they're there. Is today's guest part bionic man? Well, let's dissect him to find out. After all, there is no higher accolade than being recognized as someone who enables others to perform at their best. Today's guest is Mike Lipkin, keynote speaker and author of eight books, most recently one called The Potentiator. I read it cover to cover and I loved it. Mike. You appeared on one of our first episodes of our podcast, and you set the tone for us to be bold and play the role to help others make breakthroughs. Welcome back to the Insights at Work podcast, Mike Lipkin. Jeff, I am just so thrilled to be with you. It's very seldom that I'm with a host with this level of enthusiasm, passion, and incredible love of my work. So, Jeff, uh, affection, respect, and uh, contribution are reciprocal. So I feel all the things that you just expressed uh, from me to you. So thank you. Well, Mike, I'm sure today we're going to make a lot more mobilizers and fans of you and your brand. Very good. And in fact, look, that's a wonderful segue into the conversation, Jeff, because I've created an acronym called FAME. And whoever you are, as you listen to our conversation today, just know that success is a direct function of your ability to build fame. So let me break that out for you. The F is fans. So many of you on this call have got your social network. You're on LinkedIn, you're on Instagram, you're on Facebook, and you've got followers or fans. So I've got thousands of fans, and I don't know whether they're making a difference to my life or not. The fact that they like a message doesn't mean anything to me. So one step beyond the fan is what's known as an advocate. An advocate is someone who is a fan, but they are also vocal. They talk about you. They endeavor to influence other people in your direction. However, an advocate may not have the equity, may not have the gravitas, may not have the leverage with his, her, or their 
stakeholders. And so they can talk about you and that still may not make a difference. The M is the mobilizers. Now a mobilizer is an advocate who actually has influence and leverage and sway with his, her, or their stakeholders. So for example, Jeff is a mobilizer of mine, which is why I'm so delighted to be on this podcast with him. So Jeff is an advocate who has created a following and who has earned your respect and attention. So the fact that Jeff is saying these things about me is going to make an impact. But the E in fame, that is the holy grail. That is the evangelist. Now, what is an evangelist? That is someone who doesn't just depend on you. They believe in you. They've got skin in the game. They are a sponsor. They're willing to put their reputation on the line to support your cause. And so an evangelist is someone that you've made such an incredible contribution to that they feel as committed to your well-being as they do to their own. So the highest goal is create evangelists, but right up there is mobilizers. And so the more mobilizers you have in your life, the more evangelists you have in your life, the more successful you will be. But even more important, the more opportunity you will have to influence and lead and improve the lives of all the people in your life. Let's talk about the term potentiator. Yes. The term potentiator, it speaks to me because I'm a strong supporter of servant leadership. And that's why I love having you on the podcast. That's why I like reading your work, watching your YouTube videos. I think that we're here to help others make breakthroughs on a much bigger scale than if it was just us working on our own. Yes. You write something that resonates to me. You say in every meeting, we're training people to be to expect us to be in the next meeting because we help them be their best. Mike, what's a potentiator? <laughs> oh, that's such a great uh, setup, uh, Jeff. So in my book, my opening quote is from the great Jackie Robinson. And he said, a life is not important except in the impact it has on other lives. So in a nutshell, a potentiator has such an extraordinary impact on the lives of the people around him, her, or them, that this potentiator brings out the best in them. So Jeff, when you say in every meeting, we train other people how to expect us to be in the next meeting, I have trained you to expect me to be energetic, inspired, informed, and enthusiastic because I have been like that in every meeting with you. And you have been exactly how you are being. Now, why this is so important, Jeff, is that whoever you are on this call, you are in competition for one precious commodity, and that is other people's time. If I get your time, I can get your attention. If I get your attention, I can get your followership. And if I get your followership, I can get extraordinary results in this world. So a potentiator is someone who always enables other people to play at their absolute best. So here's what I want to uh, say to the folks on this call, Jeff, and that is this. There are only two kinds of people in our lives. There are the people with whom we have to work. We have no choice. And then there are the people with whom we want to work. We would choose those people. We would even spend our leisure time with those people. And in these times, our colleagues and the people who we know at work are becoming very important to us. So a potentiator 
is someone other people want to give their time to, they want to meet with, they want to share, they want to be generous with, because they know the potentiator is going to take all their gifts and give it back maybe tenfold, even a hundredfold. Mike, I always enjoy your books because they offer your own personal examples in life when things might not have gone too well. You talk about how you struggled with depression. You stuttered as a young boy and a young adult. You talk about how you zigged when maybe you should have zagged. Pointing out one's flaws and times of mistakes, it's not too common, especially when you're writing a book. Usually, we're always reading about the successes, but this is clearly a winning formula for you. As a high-profile author and speaker, why do you find it important to highlight your failures as much as highlighting your successes? Wow. You know, that is, again, a question for our times, Jeff. And the truth is, and you're probably listening to this rather than watching this. So what I'm doing with this, Jeff, is I'm raising my hand and he can see the front of my hand. I'm now turning my hand and Jeff can now see the back of my hand. So why do I do that? Because failure is front of hand. Success is back of hand. In other words, they could be the same thing. So sometimes when you think you've succeeded, you may have failed because you may not have pushed the envelope. You may not have gone as far as you could have gone. It's one thing to win in the minors. It's a very different thing to win in the majors. And too much early success or uh, a win that is achieved without enough effort could lead to a longer-term failure if we brand failure as not playing at your God-given level of potential. So why I acknowledge my failures, why I share my struggles, is that no one is a post-pandemic expert. And in fact, Jeff, there's a new phrase out there. We're going from post-pandemic to peri-pandemic. Peri-pandemic means there's always another pandemic that is about to happen. There is a new pandemic. It's brewing somewhere. I'm not an alarmist, but we are in for years of these rolling pandemics. So in these times, we're all rookies. We're all beginners. We're all finding our way forward. So unless you are prepared to slip, stumble, and fall your way forward, you cannot win. And so when I hear people say to me in a meeting, they say, Mike, uh, what I'm struggling with, I say, that's good. Whereas people often say what I'm struggling with, and they mean that as a negative. But think about what the word struggle is. It means you're confronting something that's difficult. You're finding it hard. You don't know the best way to do it. And so the only way to find the best way is to do it before you're ready. So in answer to your question, Jeff, I acknowledge what I've been through. I acknowledge the emotional ups and downs because vulnerability and fallibility and humanity are superpowers. And I want people to know that I do not have the answers. And this is why I enjoy talking to you, Jeff, because you ask me such great questions and I'm responding you know, from the inside out spontaneously. I don't have any script, any notes in front of me. I'm just responding real time. And what people want now, as much as anything else, is the knowledge that the people to whom they're speaking are authentic, are real, are caring, and do not see themselves as being above it all or having all the answers. Mike, I think 
uh, one thing that both of us, that we see this strength in, it's about being authentic. And I think we think, we, we know that when you want to build rapport with someone, being genuine, being authentic, and showing that you genuinely care about them, it's the quickest way to build that rapport. Exactly. So, you know, the word rapport is defined as harmonious connection. So listeners will not fail to point out that Jeff and Mike's style on this call are very, very similar. And what I'm doing organically, this is not uh, artifice here. I am reflecting Jeff's exuberance and his enthusiasm and his relish for the role. Now, this is who I am naturally. This is who Jeff is naturally. Why? And that's why there's such great chemistry here. But let's say, for example, Jeff was more quietly spoken. Let's say he spoke uh, slower and let's say he was more introvert. Then I would change my style, but I would still be authentic. I would still be me. So what I want to say to everyone on this call is when you're in a meeting with others, make them comfortable, even if you have to make yourself uncomfortable. In other words, flex and adapt to being the kind of person the other person's going to be comfortable with, even if that's difficult for you. And that's not being artificial. But what a potentiator does is a potentiator is focused single-mindedly on making the other person feel safe, making the other person feel comfortable, giving the other person a sense of trust and security. So the other person is then willing to reveal a lot more and make themselves a lot more vulnerable than they otherwise would have. Mike, you dedicated a whole chapter on this in the book, The Potentiator, and it's about being bold. I'm a shameless self-promoter when it comes to the work of my team. And since I read about the importance of being bold in your book, I might have even kicked it up a level, kicked that cheerleading up to a new level. Tell me and our listeners about the importance of being bold. Yeah. Well, look, Jeff, there are a lot of people like me out there who profess to know the blueprint of success and who will shamelessly share with you a roadmap to ultimate achievement. And I have been known to do that. But in the spirit of authenticity on this call, what I want to say to you, Jeff, is I don't have the ultimate blueprint for success. I am uh, experimenting and improvising my way forward every single day. But Jeff, I do have the ultimate blueprint for failure. Okay, so anyone who wants to fail like a genius, listen to what I'm about to say. Go into meetings being ambivalent. Go into meetings not being sure if you can do it or you should do it. Go into a meeting not being convinced that you have a powerful, compelling point of view to share. Go into meetings with a sense of shyness or reticence or dividend or reserve and see how well that goes for you. So the opposite of ambivalent is bold. Bold means courageous. Bold means you are willing to put yourself out there because you believe in that moment that the idea or the principle that you're putting forth is the most appropriate principle or the most effective way for the other person to achieve the results that they want to achieve. So right now, people are listening to you, Jeff, and they're listening to me 
because of our boldness, because of the confidence, because of the conviction behind how we are saying and what we are saying. So here's my message. If you want other people to believe in you, they must believe that you believe. Let me just say that again. If you want other people to believe in you, they must believe that you believe. So as I tell folks, I'm often wrong, but I'm never in doubt. So if I'm on this show, if I'm talking to you, Jeff, or if I'm making a presentation or I'm writing a book, I am fallible. There might be some points in the book that within a very short space of time may prove not to be right. But when I write the book, when I put it out there, when I share these thoughts with you, I believe them to be the way. Now, Jeff, I can be bold and flexible. I can be bold and agile. So I believe in something until someone provides me with evidence to the contrary, and then I'll change my mind in a heartbeat. But let me just extend this uh, uh, just a step further here, Jeff, and that is this. Uh, bold means that you are courageous. So if you are bold, but you don't have any fear, we call that reckless. We call that not respecting all the perils or the pitfalls around you. So fearless doesn't mean you have no fear. It means you fear less. Now, why this is so important is that it's not enough just to be creative as we move forward. It's not enough just to be innovative or imaginative or resourceful or ingenious. You have to be courageously creative. Because anytime you're creative, anytime you're doing something for the first time, there is a risk that it may not work. There's a risk that you might fall flat on your face. And many of us are not bold or we're not creative for one simple reason, Jeff, and that is we are scared of looking stupid. So if I can say one thing to everyone on this call, don't be afraid of looking stupid. Do the right thing for the right reasons with the right preparation and then trust that over time, the arc of success will bend in your favor. So, Mike, let's talk about being creative because you talk about it in the book. You talk about how we can all be more creative and that is be your own experiment. Try new things. Try to keep trying new things. I had a guest on the podcast recently, Ken Hughes. Yes. Ken conducted his own experiment where he tried something new every day for one year. Now, it that. could have been something small, like having his daughter paint his toenails, or it could be something big, like naked bungee jumping. <laughs> Mike, how would you suggest we train ourselves to be courageously creative? Oh, man, that's such a powerful question, Jeff. So let me respond in a creative way. And what I'm saying to folks is when you are entertaining the future, who knows what will work or will not work? But based on your experience, based on what you think could happen, based on the chemistry that you think you can create, anything is possible. And that's the mindset of being creative that you need to move into. So, Jeff, yes, you can do crazy things like uh, go bungee jumping naked, and that requires a whole nother level of boldness. Or you can begin today by doing something small that helps you untether yourself from the past or what you consider to be impossible. Mike, in the book, let's talk about a nine or a 10 or an 11 out of 10 moment that you reference. You wrote, get ready 
for your Gassama moment. You yeah. know it's coming in one form or another. What's a Gassama moment? And what do you think is more important when hiring an employee? Attributes or skills? Wow. So, Jeff, what I love about you as an interviewer is you have done your homework and you tee up each question to perfection. So <laughs> let me just read you a paragraph here because this is the story of Mamudu Gassama. So on May 27, 2018, Mamudu Gassama, a 23-year-old undocumented immigrant from Mali to France, climbed four stories of a northern Paris building to save a four-year-old child dangling from a balcony. Many of you may remember the video, and if not, uh, go on YouTube and watch it. The child had been left alone and somehow made it over the railing. Christened Spider-Man on social media, Gassama became an overnight celebrity. Two days later, he met with the French President Emmanuel Macron at the Elysee Paris, where he was awarded the honor medal for courage and devotion. And he received his residency permit the next day, and he became a French citizen. Just as important, his heroic gesture became an example for all citizens and a rallying cry for the support of undocumented immigrants. I'll just read the final couple words here. Gassama told the media that he noticed the child dangling from the balcony around 8 p.m. while walking with his girlfriend on the street below. I didn't think about the flaws or the risk, he said. I just climbed up to save him and voila. So why do I read you those two paragraphs? Because each and every one of us at some point is going to be faced with the opportunity to save somebody's life, either literally or figuratively. We're going to be confronted with the opportunity to make a major impact. And as Jeff indicated, Gassama had prepared his whole life for this moment. He had endured whatever it took to get into France as an undocumented immigrant. He was a young man who obviously at had these uh, agile climbing skills, and so effortlessly he scaled uh, half a building to save the life of a child. The point is this. We all know that it could happen this morning. It could happen this afternoon. It could happen tomorrow or next week or next month or next year. But you and I are going to be confronted with that opportunity. And my challenge to all of you is, what are you doing to get ready to respond in a way where you're going to make a difference? You're going to save a life or you're going to save someone's well-being or you're going to create the breakthrough that leads to the other person's success and as importantly, your personal breakthrough. Talking about opportunities, every time you're in a meeting, you are given an opportunity to shine. You are given an opportunity to share your expertise to share your opinion. And I'm, I want to believe in others. I want to see what they're made of because there's a reason they're in that meeting. And yes. so when I ask the question, well, what do you think? I'm always so surprised when somebody returns with the answer. Yeah, this has given me a lot to digest and think about. And then they leave it at that. Yes. Yes. Well, Jeff, look, uh, you've just hit on what might be the biggest fear of people in the workplace, and that is the fear of looking stupid. My point is this, Jeff. You need to have a point of view. You need to have the boldness and the courage to express that point of view because if you express a point of view, 
Other people may not agree with that point of view, but you have put out something that could be the catalyst for the breakthrough, that could be one of the ingredients in the recipe of the success for the entire team. I've got a philosophy that says the word is the seed of the deed. And if you don't say it, you don't plant the seed and then nothing's going to grow from there. Let me give you something else that I think your listeners will find exceptionally valuable, Jeff. And that is this. In every single meeting, we have one of three choices. The first is that we have nothing whatsoever to say. And then we should say nothing. If you have nothing to say, if you've got nothing to contribute, don't say anything. That's when you go, okay, let me digest this. The second is that we have something very important to say. And we know it can make a difference. Therefore, there's no doubt we have to say that. And I want to say to you that if you have something to say and everything inside of you, all your DNA says you must say it, then say it. But then there's a third option. And that is we have an idea. We're not sure if it's a good idea. We're not even sure how it will land with the audience should we say it or not. And my encouragement to everyone on this call, especially if you're in HR, is that is something you must say. Now, you can preface what you're about to say by saying, um, here is an idea that may or may not be the best idea, may or may not be appropriate to the challenge facing us, but I just want to share it with you. Every single time I have heard somebody just share an idea, it's been well received by the audience. That doesn't mean they embrace it and run with it. It just means that they appreciate the fact that someone has verbalized a point of view. And uh, Jeff, the final thing I'll say here is that everyone is waiting for somebody else to be a role model. So be that role model. Uh, I throw out a ton of awful ideas all the time. In fact, one of the exercises that my team do is we're like, what are the worst ideas that we can come up with and let's just cross those off the list. How far can we push this where it's ridiculous? And then let's dial it back just a bit. Well, Jeff, look, uh, just in the spirit of being a little zany here, you know, think about the kind of conversation that must have happened with the team in Hollywood when they were thinking about an idea for a movie and someone came up with the idea of, well, let's have a tornado where sharks fall from the sky and bite people. It's called Sharknado. And how do I know it was a success? Because there's Sharknado too, right? So, you know, talk about crazy, ridiculous, impossible ideas that end up, you know, um, uh, resonating with folks and actually creating success. And that's just the first crazy, weird idea that came out of my mind. And I'll tell you why, Jeff. Just last week, I took a summer vacation with my family, and I've got a beautiful granddaughter who's five years old, and we were talking about crazy things, and I showed her the trailer of Sharknado. And here's the mind of a five-year-old, and this is why my wife got a little annoyed with me. That five-year-old, she didn't think that that was zany. She actually thought, okay, yeah, well, you know, sharks can fall from the sky. So, Sometimes we need to have that kind of openness. We need to believe in that kind of craziness. We need to rediscover the belief of our five-year-olds within us. And then as we move forward along the development process, then we need adults in the room. But certainly uh, from the get-go, Jeff, 
make the idea as bold, as crazy, as zany as you can, because you can always dial it back. But if you don't stretch it as far as it can go, there may be unused, unexplored potential that could have made all the difference in the world. So, Mike, when I'm trying to pitch a concept like Sharknado, I'm going to have to be that champion communicator. Yes. I'm going to have to share my idea. I'm going to have to enhance my idea. Yes. I love that our listeners, if they're already there, they're already experts in HR, they're already potentiators, they want to be that champion communicator. So what are the tips that you have to offer so they can be that champion communicator? They can be ready to share that awesome idea like Sharknado 4. <laughs> exactly. So look, uh, simplicity is the essence of champion communication. So I've made it really simple. The first thing I want to say, when I talk about communicate like a champion, in order to communicate like a champion, you need to be a champion of something. So I'm not talking about communicate like a champion as in number one. I'm talking about communicate like a champion as in someone who champions a cause, someone who's passionate about something worthwhile. That's the communicate like a champion I'm talking about. Now, there's a woman that I've done some work with and who actually has treated me as a doctor. Her name is uh, Dr. Beth Abramson. She's a professor of cardiology at uh, St. Mike's Hospital. And um, when she communicates, she follows, and this is the acronym that I've created for her incredible ability to communicate. I just call it CARE, C-A-R-E. And the C, Jeff, is clarity. Absolute clarity in terms of what you say, so the content must be simple and accessible, and how you say it. So what you do well and what I hope I'm doing well is I want to make sure that people can hear what I'm saying, that I'm being clear and explicit in my communication. The A is authority. You have earned the right to say what you have to say. And that's where boldness and that's where confidence manifests itself. And that's where it's so important to prepare as much as you possibly can for the conversation. So, for example, Jeff, you and I, you prepared more than I did for this conversation. I'm just being spontaneous and I have the advantage of having written the book literally. But I want people to hear my authority. And sometimes, Jeff, we need to act like we have more authority than we actually have. We need to give ourselves the license to radiate that authority because if people hear that authority, they're likely to do something. The R is reassurance. You know, in the age of tuna, in the age of unprecedented anxiety, we want people who are going to make us feel safe. We want people who we know have our backs. We want people who we know are going to be at their best when things are at their worst. As I say, you can only face the future because of the people who've got your back. So great communicators always reassure the people around them. And then the E is empowering, giving people the tools, giving people the insights, giving people the skills, or even just the positive emotions that empower them to go out there and take action. And that, uh, Jeff, goes all the way back to biblical times where we say, if you feed someone, you feed them for a day. If you teach them how to feed themselves, you feed them for a lifetime. Mike, let's talk about confidence. You talk about confidence and creativity when it comes to Gen Z, 
because they seem to be the most comfortable with today's technology. Yeah. They believe they've got this better way of doing things and they're determined to prove it. Now, from an HR perspective, one thing that I've seen is I've noticed how Gen Z's, they're pretty keen to ask to be promoted mere months after joining the company. Why do you think Gen Z's expect this level of a success to come so much sooner than, say, our generation did? Yeah, got it, got it. Well, Jeff, the first thing I want to say to you is that I am a Gen Z. I just happen to have six decades of experience being a Gen Z. <laughs> so the reason why I say that, Jeff, is uh, Gen Z are the way they are because of what their lived experience has taught them or conditioned them to be and to expect. So they live in the age of immediate gratification, immediate results, and um, messages that can be delivered in a very, very short time frame. So their attention span is the length of TikTok. And we need to adapt to that rather than the other way around. Because as a boomer or as, you know, one step beyond a boomer might even be a geezer. But one thing is for certain, Jeff, that if we respond with a level of resistance or frustration to that generation, they are not going to respond favorably and they may even feel alienated. So the message I have for anyone who is not a Gen Z that has to manage a Gen Z is your challenge and my challenge is first and foremost to manage our own emotions. Number two, to open up to Gen Z and to encourage them to move forward the way they believe it's appropriate, knowing over time, Jeff, and that's the message here, over time, Gen Z are going to understand the amount of time that it takes to truly master a role, how important experience is, and that's the one thing that you cannot accelerate. You want to be someone that Gen Z looks at and sees as a coach or a mentor or a sponsor or a teacher. Is there anything impactful that we haven't covered today that you'd like to touch on? I would just say one thing, Jeff, and that is believe in miracles. Now, that's not flaky. A miracle is not something that is, an, uh, that is just a divine act. Now, one definition of a miracle is it is something that is created by a higher power that is beyond the comprehension of mortals. But on the other hand, Jeff, a miracle is something marvelous that you have helped make happen. So this podcast today is a miracle that you and I have created. Think about all the elements. Think about the technology. Think about all the resources that had to align for us to have this message exposed to everyone who's on the score. That's number one. Number two, Jeff, a miracle is when nothing happens. So today, you know, it's almost noon, and today has gone the way I wanted it to go. I've had some great conversations this morning. At 11 o'clock, you and I just got on, and the technology's working. Uh, I just came off a global call, Jeff, where there was technical difficulties. So the fact that, and I don't want to jinx this, but the fact that this has gone the way it's supposed to go, that's a miracle, Jeff. So if people approach life with that sense of gratitude, that sense of relish, and if they radiate their love of what they're doing, and even more importantly, their appreciation for the people in front of them, 
if they become a reason why people look forward to Monday, then that's what I hope this podcast will help achieve. That's what I wanted to add. Well, Mike, I love creating miracles. Might be a first. Exactly. Exactly. So, Mike, before we get to our wrap-up and your list of favorites and firsts, like we do with all of our guests, I wanted to share a favorite of mine. Yes. And my favorite takeaway from your book, The Potentiator. And it's probably meaningful to me because I've gotten to know you. I'm proud to call myself one of those Mike Lipkin mobilizers, like I said earlier. And it's what stuck with me the most from the book. You share in the book that you did some training back home where you grew up in South Africa. Yes. And rather than accepting monetary payment, something else happened. Can yes. you share that story? Yes, thank you, uh, Jeff. That, that, that was a very real and uh, moving moment for me. So in June of 2002, I had the great pleasure of doing some work with the Nelson Mandela Foundation, and my payment was I got to spend 15 minutes with Nelson Mandela. And when you have that time with him, you better know what it is you wanted to ask him. So I wanted to know what does it take to survive 27 years in prison and emerge the kind of person who's even more committed to bringing his nation together and building a vision of the country he dreamed of South Africa becoming. So I asked him the question and he said to me, Michael, I didn't suffer. He said, I prepared to live my life every day in such a way that when I was released, I would transform my nation into the kind of nation I dreamt of it becoming. And I've never forgotten those words because I expected him to tell me, you know, all the things that he had to endure and get through during the 27 years. But his response was he took those 27 years one day at a time. And the vision was always, what can I do today to become the person will help transform my country in the future. When you were standing, waiting to meet him, and, and you say in the book, like you grew up in, in a life of privilege in South Africa during a yes. part time. Yes. What, what was it? What did it feel like? And what was going through your, your body at that time when you thought, I'm going to meet one of the most inspirational people in history? Exactly. Exactly. Well, yeah, so there was an unreality to it. And the interesting thing, uh, Jeff, is that he lived in a house in a suburb of Johannesburg called Houghton. I lived in a suburb called Norwood. So I lived about one and a half kilometers from where he lived. And I had lived there for the longest time. So I was always in very close physical proximity to him. And on any given day, it, there would be people standing outside his house hoping for a glimpse. And every now and then he would get out of his car with his bodyguards and he would shake people's hands. So I knew the street and I knew the house exceptionally well. But waiting in the lobby for my 15 minutes of connection with him, uh, this is going to put a smile on your face. But this, Jeff, is 2002. My wife was with me and this was before uh, digital. So we had a Ricoh camera. Remember Ricoh camera? And remember, remember the Fuji development centers? Bring your film in and in one hour you will get it back. So my wife and I had rehearsed the taking of these photographs. And we also had an Olympus camera as a second camera in case the first camera didn't work. 
So, Jeff, the truth is, the thing going through my mind is, I hope my camera works. Now, now, everything changed when I walked into his office. He was sitting down. He then got up to greet me, and my wife was in the room. He looks at my wife, and he says to her, how long did it take you to persuade Michael to marry you? Because then he looks at me, and he said, Michael, I've heard good things about you and bad things about you. I choose only to believe the good things. Now, the truth, Jeff, is prior to me being introduced to him, he didn't know who I was, but this was him engaging in small talk because at that moment, the moment we saw him, we just wanted to cry. That's all. It's just sheer emotion, just the gentleness and the sense of being with someone who's somewhere between this world and the next. So, Jeff, it was one of those moments where I'm endeavoring to articulate how it felt, but the truth is it transcended any description. Let's get to your list of favorites and firsts. We do it with every one of our guests. You've certainly been one of my favorites. Mike Lipkin, what was your first job? My first job was selling uh, very expensive men's shoes at an outfitting store in downtown Johannesburg. And it was very poignant, Jeff, because uh, most of those shoes um, were articles that were desired by mainly black miners who worked deep underground for pitiful wages. And they had such a passion for these American branded shoes that they were willing to spend a two or three month salary on a pair of shoes. And the way it would work, Jeff, is every month they would come in and put another deposit down on the pair of shoes. So there was lay buys and they would commit to a pair of shoes. And one year later, they had made 12 deposits. And when they walked out the store with this pair of shoes, that represented the beginning of success for them. So that was an extraordinary first job for me. What was your first car? My first car was a 20-year-old Mini Miner now just known as a BMW Mini because it's owned by BMW. But uh, it was an exceptional vehicle simply because it was my first. Uh, I remember you would put the key in the ignition, but the actual starter was on the floor and you'd push a button. And um, it, uh, its top speed was 35 kilometers an hour. And I loved it. What was the first concert that you ever attended? Oh, wow. Uh, so the first concert, now remember, I was raised in an apartheid South Africa. So until the age of, so South Africa became a democracy in 1994 and Mandela came out of prison in uh, 1992. So Jeff, remember this, I was 34 years old before there were any conferences uh, of a global nature in South Africa. So my first major event was the Rolling Stones came to South Africa. Wow, and, uh, and there were uh, close to 80,000 people in a stadium called Ellis Park in Johannesburg. And uh, I just remember that moment as being decisive in terms of South Africa being absorbed back into the global community. Mike Lipkin, what is your favorite piece of advice that you give to the young professional just starting out? So my favorite piece of advice to a young professional just starting out is that your lack of experience is your biggest asset. And my message to young people, whether they're just starting out or whether they're still new in their careers, is 
Leverage your freshness. Leverage your unique point of view. That's what older cohorts are looking to from you. Number one. Number two, the best people want to hear what you have to say. And so say it, play full out. Don't be reticent to express your point of view and just know that you're stepping into an extraordinary marketplace. Mike, it has been just an absolute pleasure having you on the Insights Outwork podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Jeff, I felt like as you heard the word, the words weren't coming from me, they were coming through me. And that's always a great sign. It's been a fabulous, miraculous experience talking to you. Merci beaucoup. And with that, it looks like we've run out of racetrack. Thanks so much for listening to the episode. If you've enjoyed it, please share it with your friends and colleagues so they can benefit from it as well. If you find the Insights Outwork podcast worthy, please go on to iTunes and give us a cool rating with a nice review. We certainly appreciate it. And if there's something that you would like me to discuss around this big world of HR and all things business, give me a shout. You know how to reach me on social media or through LinkedIn. In the meantime, stay healthy and be kind. We'll see you soon on the next episode of the Insights at Work podcast. <laughs>